No sports. I started smoking when I was 11. I was expelled from this school when I was 15 years old. No school really would take me. Can I ask for what? They just really didn't like me. I was, I was expelled for teaching one of my friends how to steal a one euro coin out of a locker. I, it's not until I came to the UK when I was 15 that I realized what being happy was. I was depressed essentially my entire school life. That's Louis Dureny. And this is the Yoga Life Podcast. Bonjour, ça va, mon ami? How are you? Today I have with me Louis Doreni. He is the founder and CEO of Om Apparel. And that's the best I can do with my French. I learnt most of it from Del Boy off Only Fools and Horses. So. <laughs> there you go. I gave it. A, I gave it an effort. On my apparel, clothing company for men who do yoga. You want to look cool doing yoga. I flew over to London a few weeks ago and uh, met up with Louis in Om Towers, and um, I made the schoolboy error of not packing enough SD cards. So I ended up only having one mic with me. And it was a bit like a yeah, old school interview where I'm passing the mic forwards and backwards. And, um, but it was, it was great. I mean, because um, I, I had just one mic, I had to sit right next to Louis. So we were, we were like, um, yeah, we were almost sitting on each other's lap. Um, but it was good. It made it a, like a lot more of an intimate uh, interview. And um, we hit it off straight away. He's... Uh, really easy guy to get on with and um, I, I love his, his story the fact that he's built a, a, a passion project into something that is making a massive difference in the world um, so not just on a superficial it may seem superficial level of men wanting to look better but also how to produce clothing in, in the most ethical way possible I only spoke to Louis for 45 minutes but I could have spoke to him for much, much longer. Um, it's funny, actually, as, as the interview is wrapping up, we Louis start, starts talking about his dad and um, spending quality time with his dad. And when the interview went off and, um, you know, he had to catch a plane, we started talking about our, our fathers and our relationship with our fathers. And, um, yeah, just goes to show you, when you spend a little bit longer speaking to someone, um, conversations developing um, some interesting stuff comes out so hopefully i get louis on the podcast again in 2019 um, because he's got a great story and he's got full of uh, funny stories and, and inspiration and um, yeah i'd love to speak with him again so enjoy this podcast i promise there's no more french speaking by me del boy style and um, if you love it please I'm so tempted to use some French words, but I'm not going to. If you love it, please leave five stars on iTunes. Forget about Stitcher. It's so difficult to leave reviews there. So iTunes is the one. And uh, if you don't get a chance to do that, I always appreciate you listening. Do get in touch with me. And um, if you want to listen to other episodes, you can scroll left to right. If you scroll to the left, I believe it's Max Strom. If you scroll to the right, it'll be Dan Morgan. So enjoy this chat with Louis. And have a good day. Just say something there. 
Hello. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect, Louis. Hey, Louis, nice to meet you. How are you? Nice to meet you too. I'm very excited to be here. Good. Uh, thanks for having me. We're in Om HQ. Um, I'm, I, as I was saying to you, I've just landed, just fresh off the plane. And uh, I realized on the plane that I forgot my second SD card. So, yeah. I bought everything else, but so we're doing it old school, like one microphone. So, um, yeah. Um, lovely HQ, by the way. Thank you very much. <laughs> I feel like I'm on a 90s TV show with the, the mic being put a bit in my face, but well, we call it Om Tower because it's fourth floor walk, walk up and people aren't used to that. So welcome to Om Tower. Uh, this, it's a quiet Friday. I think most people are on holiday and I'm so glad you've seen this version of Om Tower and not the previous one and the previous one before that, which was my living room. So oh, wow. it's constantly improving, but I hope to stay in this tower for as long as possible. And when did you move to this tower? In February. We started here in February and I really love it. It's a nice place. There's no water pressure, but we're in East London. It's very trendy and there's a lot of vegan cafes around. Which is important. Very important. And I occasionally sneak out to try yoga for an Adam Hustler class. Are you a vegan? No, but most of my staff are. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's, I'm pretty much vegan myself, but um, I don't eat that much meat. It's hard to know what's, what's, um, what's right, you know? Do you have any dietary requirements? None. I don't think about it anymore. I used to really dedicate a lot of energy to what I eat. And being an entrepreneur, no matter what space you're in is so consuming and engulfs every aspect of your life that you are then pretty much unable to have dietary requirements or anything of the sort just goes out the window. Mm. And they don't tell you this when you start. They only ever tell you about the good parts or the bad parts. They never tell you that your attention span as a human is, is limited and things that used to matter to you when you fall so deeply in love with a project, with a, a business, everything falls by the, by the side. You're like, I'm not practicing nearly as much as I used to, although I really want to. It's just, I find things so interesting and riveting here that I look at my clock and it's 9 p.m. Wow. So I need to go home and have a semblance of a life. Uh, I do practice still, but a lot of things like diet have completely collapsed and I eat when I can what I can. But it's great that you're in that position where you get lost in your work, isn't it? It's a blessing. It's the, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me and the worst thing that's ever happened to me for my health because it's clearly taken a toll. I, I definitely feel it. I'm not nearly as strong as I used to be. Um, my sleep isn't as good. I'm stressed. My jaw hurts. But at the same time, I feel a really deep sense of drive and purpose. Mm. But I will have taken on a few years after everything is said and done. Because it is a big sacrifice. Um, what is the purpose? 
The purpose has changed over time. The initial purpose of OM was to encourage men to practice yoga. I was a practitioner of yoga for a long time, and I found that there just wasn't any brand that represented me as a person who loved the practice of yoga. Yoga was just not considered cool for guys to do. And gradually, I feel like we've succeeded and other people have also really succeeded in shifting that perception that yoga isn't for men. And so as Om became more successful and bigger, as someone who's really passionate about the environment and what as a species we're doing, I took a lot of time and thought, wait a second, this is an opportunity for me to really enact a lot of the things I care about in terms of environmentalism. Now, OM is not perfect at all. We're still, we're a business and our purpose as a business is also to make profits and to grow and to have shareholders. These, these things are not always congruent with being a pure environmentalist. So we need to make really thought out and balanced decisions, which is really interesting and has taught me so much about the, the reality of environmentalism. And I think Om's purpose is to bring a, a cool yoga allure to environmentalism. So that transpires into all the clothing we make now is got a lot of deeply ingrained research of, hey, what are we doing here? What, what are we actually doing? And that's actually really hard to communicate and to explain. To the people buying. To the people buying. Because there's a lot of buzzwords out there and there's a lot of misinformation based on good intentions, I'm sure. On social media, you, you read a lot of things and you think, actually, I'm not sure that's true. I'm not sure that this is... And with environmentalism, you have to balance problems and say, okay, everything we do as a species has consequences, impacts. But what is the ranking of priority? Is this terrible thing we're doing worse than this terrible thing? Because if we change this, we're going to cause this. And what's really difficult as a manufacturer is to balance things out. And if you don't balance things out, you just decide to not make anything. And nobody progresses. And so, of course, people can say, hey, you guys manufacture in China. How is that environmental? Well, I'll come back and say, well, if we don't make in China, we won't have the technology to make things. So we'll make them in Europe, and then we're going to sell a pair of shorts for 300 euros, and nobody's going to buy it. And what will have we achieved then? Whereas... Countries like China, which, again, there's a lot of correct and bad information about it, is in fact 
really driving the future of environmentalism is China. There's no doubt about it. And I've been saying this for a while and a lot of people disagree with me, but look at what will be happening with the, the climate talks. The next ones are in Poland. The United States has pulled out of the Paris Climate Agreement. The leading nation in that is China, and it'll be all around what China decides are the right things to do. And so I'm torn between, oh, okay, there's a lot of bad press around this country, but all my interactions with it were positive, although it was really important to distinguish the truth from the whitewashing. But what's it like working with Chinese manufacturers in terms of communication and, and like cultural differences? Unbelievably hard. What, what I really found was that China works really well with buzzwords, with really simple buzzwords, like recycled. So you can say, oh, this is recycled. It ticks all the boxes. They love a good box ticking. And all it takes is a little bit of investigation to find out, hey, wait a second, this is recycled. You aren't lying. But this makes no sense. So, for instance, I visited a factory that was making really high-grade recycled polyester. I, polyester is made from PET, which is a, a plastic, and a very common use of this plastic is to make plastic bottles, not the caps. Plastic bottles, and you can recycle these plastic bottles with very low energy costs into fabrics. And this factory, which was making all this beautiful recycled polyester, was in fact located adjacent to a bottle manufacturing plant. And they were taking these clean, beautiful bottles that they had just made and recycling them. So in that respect, they're not lying to you. But really, what's the point of making that recycled polyester that's really wasteful? Whereas there are ways, there are really strong certifications that you can work with in Asia that check everything. And we work with, with factories with those certifications. But then there's a challenge of how do you communicate that on to our audience, to not only the people that love yoga and that really want to be a part of the Aum journey because they like what we do, what we represent with, with male yoga, but also because they believe, hey, things can be done a little bit better in the clothing industry, which they can. But when, when you're self-employed and you're your own boss, you have your own company, you, you, you know the way you have to be really careful about how much time you spend on certain um, efforts and, and, and figure out what the reward is back for each thing you do. So when you're working with people in, in China, um, how do you communicate? Do you go visit, visit them? Do you do Skype calls, emails? What's the system? So, so I, I'm really fortunate now to have a team that, that works with me here in, in London, and they're relentless with emails and calls, but the reality is, because we're still such a small company, you know, for, we're tiny for China. China makes such large amounts of things that what, 
the only way that people will listen to you is if you go there and you visit. And a lot of people now don't have that face-to-face -face interaction anymore because of technology. I think taking the time to doing so in any business, in any venture, it makes a massive difference. If you take your time to go see someone and sit down with them and really have a conversation about what it is that you want to be doing, they'll take an interest. And, and for us, that's been a, a huge advantage. And that's why we st still work with factories that are closer to home that don't have the right technology that we want to use. But I can fly to Portugal with an easy jet flight and have a lot more conversations than my, you know, three visits a year to China. And that makes a, a really big difference. What's your background? So my background, I studied mathematics out of high school. Um, maybe I'll go back a step. I was born in Paris, in France. My mother's American, so that's why you hear the American accent. I went to a French school, so I did no sports as a, as a child, zero sports. Is that typical of a French school? Typical. No sports. I started smoking when I was 11. I was expelled from this school when I was 15 years old. No school really would take me. Can I ask for what? They just really didn't like me. I was, I was expelled for teaching one of my friends how to steal a one euro coin out of a locker. It's such a convoluted story with no evidence. And it was really strange. But I think a big part of me was so happy to leave that I didn't fight it at all. I, it's not until I came to the UK when I was 15 that I realized what being happy was. I was depressed essentially my entire school life because of the way this French system was geared. I, I don't know if I, I don't, I wouldn't say that I have learning disabilities. I, I, I clearly don't. But I have a very particular way of taking in information. And the French school system is one of the best in the world. But it's only good if you learn the way they want to teach. And it just doesn't, didn't work for me. I had awful grades. And I found that the British education system gave me way more freedom and opportunity to learn the way that worked for me. And so I gravi gravity just took me towards the subject that I didn't know I was good at until I finished high school. I did not know I was good at math. And I, I was pretty good at math. I, I, you know, I had one of the best grades in the UK coming out of high school and I finished, it's, it's not the best university, but Edinburgh University was pretty good and I came out top of my year I then went into the London School of Economics, a, a quite elite course there. So I, I was good at math, and I just didn't know it. The, 
the thing was, I, I was never given the opportunity to learn in the right way. Why? Why? What caused this? Um, what feeling of a feeling of depression in you? I think, I think it was the never being able to succeed at anything. I was constantly being told what I was doing was bad, and not even English class, which obviously I was fluent in English, not even there could I thrive. And so I felt very much rejected. And I was awful at sports, so it's not like they train you at sports. So that there was just no escape from that feeling. Was it like a boarding school where you stay overnight? No, no, not a boarding school. But I went to a boarding school when I was 15, which was a, a great place. Also, my parents, neither of my parents grad, graduated from high school. And I don't think that helped either because they would just say, well, do your best. You know, they, they did, really didn't have much advice. Mine were the same. My dad left school when he was 12, mom when she was 15. And they never asked me if I did my homework. And so I never did. I rarely did. I mean, when I got my grades, I put them underneath the carpet. They didn't even know I was due to get grades out. You know, so, um, I mean, I love my mom and dad, but it's just so funny you say that because... I, it's unbelievable that, that that actually happens to other people as well. Um, but you, you definitely turned it around big time. So tell me, after you went to London School of Economics, what happened then? So I think I'll, I'll tell you what happened whilst I was at London School of Economics. I, I went there because I wanted a career change. So before that, I, I went to HSBC in New York, and I wanted to work on, on global markets in derivatives trading because... Maths, right? <laughs> and there I, I did, I had already started the practice of yoga and it was for me the discovery of being physical in my body. I had never been physical before, ever. I was just learning, oh my God, like this feels great. And I'm not good at this, there's, but there's, there is no good at this or bad at this. All that matters is that I show up. That's what matters. And that meant so much to me. And at the LSE, I was extremely disillusioned with the studies I was doing. I, I really loved Edinburgh. I, I, I loved learning and I was curious about everything I was doing and that didn't happen again when I was at the LSE. And it's a great school, but the method of teaching, again, wasn't for me. And so I decided to do most of the year from Costa Rica, where I did loads of yoga and lived on a farm where I ate only raw vegan food. I mean, I think a lot of listeners will, will relate to this story. You went all in. I went all in. I'm, I have two skills in life. I have the ability to fall asleep anywhere, any place, any time. It's... it's it also means that I cannot stay awake in class. It's an impossibility <laughs> for me. And I'm good at exams, particularly math exams. So I figured, you know what, I'm just not going to go to class on this expensive degree I've just done. I'm not going to go to any of the classes. There's no point. I keep falling asleep. I'm just going to go to the exams and ace them. Mm -hmm. And what I did was I just learned the exams. Again, exams are such a bad way to measure how good someone is at a course, because I really 
memorized how to do the math and I just did it and I can't remember a thing. I tried the other day to, to, to remember some stuff. I just really, it's in one ear, out the other, as you would say in French. It was, and during that experience, I, I really realized that banking was not a place where I would thrive, where I would probably struggle a lot in a system of authority and a system of, of um, marathon work. And so I thought of Om, and it took me a year to process that thought and start the business, start it and, and get it rolling and all the pain that came after that. But it, it was a, a fun journey. The beginning was a really fun and intense journey. What's been the biggest challenge? Keeping my emotional state in check. I think that has been the, there's, there's a lot of highs, there are a lot of lows, there's a lot of panicking, there's a lot of really difficult stages that you go through. And I think that was something that I learned from yoga, really, to, to get that in check. But for me, that was the biggest challenge. The actual running and doing and making the decisions, all that stuff would be relatively easy were it not for the fact that this is something I care really deeply about and I would be really upset if it didn't work out. And so there's a lot of moments where I'm stressed and worried and I think everything would be much easier if I could, could just say, hey man, it's going to be great, don't worry about it. But so do you mean that in terms of your emotional state, whether something really bad happens or really amazing happens, you can maintain like steady, a steady state of emotion? Is that what you mean? That you don't get too caught up? No, what I mean is that I would like to. <laughs> and what I mean is that it would be easier if I could not get too caught up. But I, I'm human. I get caught up. I, I, I surf that wave up. And it's amazing. And then I get hit on the down and I go through that experience where I know full well that what really needs to happen is that I manage the highs so that the lows don't come too hard. And there, there are a lot of really tough moments that, no, again, nobody really, you, you watch movies about entrepreneurs and nobody talks about the middle. The middle part of the journey is, is really... Uh, a strange place. I feel like Frodo in the Lord of the Rings walking slightly aimlessly <laughs> towards Mount Doom. You know, it's a bit like, ooh, I know it's this way, but like, there's a lot of corpses and I got to dodge them. And if, if someone here in this office has an issue, they can go to you. Who do you go to? Exactly. I really don't have many people to go to. It's a really challenging experience when in all my past life, there was always someone I could say, hey, by the way, this is really tough. What, what should I do? I don't really have that level of support, but I have great friends and I have people that I can talk to. And I'm really proud. The, my biggest achievement at Om is really the team. 
the the close-knit family that I've been a part of here has, is just a real support to me emotionally. I can like say, hey man, you know what? If you can do it for them, like everybody loves this place, you can pull this off, you can do this. And that really brings me up. Maybe, maybe I'm a little bit illusion to how um, beautiful this place is, but I think everybody really likes it. <laughs> so you don't have a mentor? I did, but he died. Yeah, I had a, I have a tendency because my, my parents are so old, I make friendships with older people. I had a, someone I would have called a mentor for a few years, but he passed away last year, a year ago exactly. And if you're, I mean, because a lot of the people listening to this podcast are yoga teachers, and I suppose you could say yoga teacher is like a one-person business. You know, if you're a freelance and you're going around everywhere selling yourself, selling, marketing yourself on Instagram, and you have to think like an entrepreneur. Um, although it's much low risk compared to having a company, you have to... Um, um, study the systems of being successful is there any like um resources that you've used it could be books that you've read that have really helped you there, there definitely are i mean i would say that books that i've read like the four hour work week which were really interesting which weren't for me but for a yoga teacher i think would be very valuable i would also say taking a little bit of time to learning about analytics, to learning about data, just really basic stuff, a few YouTube videos, just so that you can get in the, the right mindset to say, hey, I'm spending this much time and energy on this one thing, but it brings me nothing. And it's really to frame your mind to say, do less and do it better. My... Two hero yoga teachers are two really great friends of mine, which are Adam Hustler and Dylan Werner. Those two guys are some of my best friends, and both of them have completely different ways of running their business, which is teaching yoga. They're yoga teachers, but they are entrepreneurs. Adam teaches as many classes as he can fit in quality. So he could teach more classes within his timetable, but the quality just wouldn't be there. And it is a seriously daunting timetable. I mean, you see this guy, you think, wow, how can he do this? And he's been doing it for a while, and he's got this stoic work ethic, and I've got a lot of respect for Adam for that. And his way of seeing it is, I can do as much as I can do, and I'm going to do it. And his analytical mindset tells him, okay, but maximize on the quality. You are, if you can teach 10 classes in a day, but five are bad quality, scrap that. And he's going to dedicate all the energy of the 10 classes to five. And the, all five of those classes are going to be top notch. You will see a really amazing class and... 
I've really learned a lot from from spending time with Adam on on how to prioritize your energy and on brand and all these things. Whereas Dylan will minimize the amount of classes. Absolutely. He will minimize his classes so that he can spend as much time traveling as he can so that he can impact the most amount of students possible through much bigger workshops. And that has built into his brand also. And I've got a lot of respect for what Dylan's achieved. I'm sure a lot of your, your listeners wouldn't know about him. And As you said, there's no right or wrong way of doing it, but it's important that you're acting off information. And I think that a lot of people who are working, particularly on their own, when you have no one to say, oi, stop doing that, that's a waste of time, move on to this project. You have no one to say that. And sometimes you can get caught up doing what you enjoy instead of what actually gives you... Um, um, what's the one I'm looking for? Like um, reaps benefits. Uh, so, so say for example with the podcast, I had so many people say to me, "Why are you starting a podcast?" And then I started, <laughs> I started down it myself, and I realised that Instagram is a very um, saturated market for a yoga teacher. Yeah, obviously, for a clothing brand, it's different. I mean, it's all visual, but for a saturated. it's also very saturated. <laughs> I mean, the on podcast. Oh, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> uh, so, um, so what I realized is that starting a podcast is actually really difficult. You have to be quite technical. I spent so many hours at my desk up in my loft on my own, just pulling my hair up going, what? you hit a roadblock, you can't figure out, you've Googled everything, you've YouTubed everything, and then you can't figure out, so you scrap it, and then a week, two weeks go by, and, and it just drags on months and months. But then I started, when you start getting emails or messages, people saying, oh, this is whoever from Brazil, I listen to your podcast. I'm thinking, I'm building a community where then now my, my classes get booked out. My workshops are starting to get way busier because people know me already. And I started doing, I've started teaching, uh, training teachers now only last week, which is a big step for me. And people in the class were referenced my podcast in the class and, and like when they were speaking to me I thought wow you know this is so I know I, I, I'm on the right track but I think that um, as you said data is so important you know you have to refine 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 it's it's really understanding and it doesn't have to be this really intense statistical analysis you know you can it can be a little anecdotal as well you can say, hey, I'm dedicating this much energy in the morning to reading the newspaper when it's really not bringing me that much in return. I can probably cut that out of my life and, you know, occasionally read the news, watch the news, read the news, you know, be an informed citizen, whatever. But there's so many pieces that I see a lot of teachers doing uh, who are just trying to just fit in as much as possible. We're saying, right, I'm going to try and do as much as possible and let's see what works. And eventually what you need to do is say, okay, actually that hasn't worked. I'm going to scrap that. And I'm going to focus all my energy on my podcast. I'm not going to have a YouTube channel where I have 50 views on each video and I'd spend a lot of time trying to teach people how to do chaturanga. I'm going to interview people and allow a lot of aspiring yoga teachers or yoga teachers 
to learn more about what makes a great yoga teacher and about how to get there. I, I think you're on the right track. Thank, thank you. <laughs> I, was, I mean, because it is quite a lonely endeavor being a yoga teacher, and I'm sure, it's, I'm sure used for an entrepreneur because you only have yourself, really. And I think that when people will message me to say that they listen to this podcast as if it's they listen to one of their friends talking, it makes them realize that they're not, everyone's in the same boat, you know. Um, so back to on, because um, I'm talking about my podcast too much now. I'm supposed to be interviewing you. <laughs> talking about myself too much. <laughs> um, you, you, any plans to open in Ireland? Could I ask you that? Because I live in Ireland. Oh, to, to open a, a physical shop? Of course, yeah. Uh, I don't think we would open physical shops for a while, but gradually I think we're going to start doing more events in Ireland and things like this. It's really hard to, to do a lot. And so I try and do less, but, but well, and the internet, this is such a like overdone line, but the internet is a really amazing tool that you can use to talk to loads of people all around the world who normally you would never have access to. And now I can just work really hard with my team and say, hey, men's yoga is cool. Making clothes in a, in a more environmentally conscious way is cool. Talking about things that matter in yoga and environmentalism is cool. Listen to us and people will react to it. It's, it's amazing. So the difficulty in like physical events and physical shops and things like this are one, it's not my skill. I'm, I'm a math geek who was like in his room on his computer, you know what I mean? So it's, I, I, I find physical events very daunting to me. I would never be able to be a yoga teacher. I could never stand in front of a room of people and teach. It just would never happen. I uh, completely not something that's feasible for me. So I've decided so far in this journey is to really focus on what I can achieve and I can be good at, which is product building and building our website and all these things that I've done okay at. Uh, I think product is where I've done the best, but there's so much more I can do. And events, I really want to do that. But gradually, it's easier to do them in my backyard where I feel more comfortable. And eventually, I know I'll get over my fear of like, putting myself too far out there. And I'll come to Ireland, I'll, I'll do some in the United States. And I look forward to doing one with you. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. Um, no, because I think it, it can't be un understated that um, when I first started doing yoga, I remember wearing football shorts and, I don't know, maybe a vest. <laughs> uh, and I felt already awkward that I was the only guy in the class. I couldn't do any of the poses and I looked like just a misfit, essentially. And um, I think that the pro the product is key. I have a pair of those trousers actually on that mannequin, the Voyager ones, in oh, my yeah. in my bag actually. Yes, yes. That makes me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> I have a pair of them, and um, I, people always comment like, "Wow, your trousers are really nice." The color, and they um, they actually are smart enough to wear like even kind of going out. And I wear them to yoga, 
um, and they've got loads of pockets. So they're very, it's clear like everything's been thought. The product is, um, there's a lot of detail in the product and that's really clear. I'm actually in the market for a black pair. So before I go on, maybe I can buy them here. I'm sure I can. I think I'll, I'll be able to sort you out. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but I'd love to talk about that product actually, if you have a sec. Absolutely. Um, that product was born out of my friendship with Adam Hustler. Mm. I wanted to design something that fit with his lifestyle. And I thought, what can I do that really works for Adam? What does Adam need? He needs loads of pockets because Adam has stuff that he puts in his pockets. He needs a zip that holds and he needs a very stretchy sweat wicking material that also looks good when walking out of a studio because he's going to meetings with PR companies, he's meeting journalists. I mean, this guy is busy. So he doesn't have time to change necessarily. So that's how the Voyagers were born. Now, Adam only wears black, so I wanted to include a lot of colors for people because I'm a color person. And I also wanted to include a, an environmental side to this. Now, I wanted to make the Voyagers out of a recycled material. But to get the best out of it, we needed to use nylon. And recycled nylon is really hard to make and come by and it's hard to do well. So we went for a nylon that's blue sign certified. And the blue sign certification is something I really struggle to explain to people in sound bites. What does blue sign mean? Fabrics are usually made in countries with very little environmental regulations. It tends to happen. So the most damaging part of production is in a normal corporate factory is disposal of waste that's expensive. You know, what happens to your old battery when you throw it out? You know what I mean? What ha so imagine a big canister of dyes and things like this. They just chuck them in the ocean. The blue sign certification guarantees that waste is disposed of correctly, that there is a certain percentage of greenhouse gas reduction that's taking place, that they're trying to use renewable energy, and they have inspectors that come around to check all this. And they also have these inspectors that I hear are very annoying, that force them as manufacturers to improve processes, even without improving efficiency. So a factory is a very efficient place. And if they can save one cent by putting a bin in a different place, they're gonna do that. And the blue sign certification says, let's add a dimension to this and make sure that not only are you putting the bin there, but you're also making sure that it sorts your waste properly. It doesn't cost you more necessarily, but it doesn't make you more. So people tend not to do that. And, and the blue sign certification gives me a lot of comfort as a manufacturer that, okay, I, these guys are not messing around. And a lot of the factories I visited and that were not certified were places I didn't want to work with. And so the Voyagers are 
made from a certified material and they do the trick for i mean for me and adam big and you are a fan absolutely <laughs> they uh, because i got so sick of wearing tracksuit bottoms i felt like every day i was in tracksuit bottoms and now i actually put in my diary i keep a diary and i wrote i wrote something like uh, teacher trainer wear be smart or something like that like as in like i can't be teaching people how to teach yoga wearing tracksuit bombs it just doesn't feel right i need to step it up and that's actually something i noticed about adam when i i was going you heard on the podcast like i'd go for instagram going we can't relate to these guys we can't relate to these guys and i seen this guy and thought he looks smart but yet he's doing yoga like yeah i like i like what he's wearing um he's not like wearing tracky bottoms and stuff like that um and it just um it, I thought you can you can look like that, you know. You don't have to be all hippie looking all the time because that doesn't resonate with me. The hippiness, like I can't. I like, I'm a bit more formal, you know. Um, and the voyagers are spot on for that. So thank you for them. Thanks. Sorry for the the product placement there, but I <laughs> I don't have many opportunities to talk about something that I spent so much time on and I care so much about. So. If anybody wants to check them out, they can go check them out on om.com. Yeah, no, no, they're brilliant. Um, so, um, yeah, Louis, man, that was fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. And um, you, we, it was great to see the offices. And uh, you're going to a wedding now, aren't you? I am going to accompany my father to walk around in the forest in France. Okay, <laughs> why did I think it was a wedding? I don't know. My, my father is in very good health. He still works. He's 85 years old, and I try and spend as much time as I can with him. And he wants to go to the forest this weekend. We're going to the forest. He's 85. He's 85, born in 1933. Um, so you're going to, the, to France to, to, to go and with your father spend quality time. Exactly. And it's, a, it's something that if you're able to do so, I would strongly recommend it because I know full well that it's not going to be forever and I'm so lucky to have a father in such good health so I get to spend time with him like that and learn from him he's someone I can learn so much from my father was 15 years old when he saw plastic for the first time and now he has an iPhone and he's good with it wow, like isn't that crazy that's I, that to me blows my mind he takes it very casually, but he has all the information he wants at his fingertips. And he remembers airplanes fighting overhead during World War II. Yeah. And, um, well, that sounds nice, man. Yeah. yeah um, so I'm off to a workshop, as you know. We were talking about earlier. Mac, Mac Strom, uh, a calibrated man. And I think that's... Um, someone maybe would be interested in you speaking with um so uh, yeah we'll see see how that goes in Chayaga. so once again thanks so much Lee. my pleasure i really enjoyed it voila it's done yeah there it is uh louis from on next week i have with me dan morgan so dan was over for a whole weekend of workshops he actually stayed with me. We cooked dinner together, uh, me, him, and my girlfriend. Uh, he makes a killer guacamole. Um, just, just let you know, one, one of his many skills. Um, yeah, on the, on the podcast with Dan, the next episode, episode 27, 
we well you, you'll find out what we talk about scroll over to it um it's he's an interesting guy we had a good bit of banter as well um so as always if you enjoy please leave a review on itunes get in touch love to hear from you and hope you have a good day and i'll catch up with you next week <laughs>